Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 367. Today's big Bible questions are, does Jesus come in peace for his second coming? And how does God bring his people to repentance? Well, happy Monday, friends, the last Monday of the year. Just three episodes left of the Bible Reading Podcast after today, but don't unsubscribe. I think we've got some uh, interesting things coming up in the feed for 2021. A hearty welcome aboard to new listeners from South Africa, Gujarat, India, Columbus, Ohio, Columbia, South Carolina, Cincinnati, Ohio, Augusta, Georgia, and Nairobi, Kenya, which is a lovely city that I have had the privilege of visiting and which has the best tasting fruit in the world. Today we read 2 Chronicles 33, Malachi chapter 1, John 18, and Revelation 19. And we're going to be splitting our focus between Revelation 19, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and 2 Chronicles 33. So let's begin with our Chronicles passage. Today we are going to learn about righteous King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, who was a terrible person and a terrible king for almost his whole life. One of the great mysteries of life is when godly people have children that just absolutely rebel strongly against God, and when godless people have children that embrace God wholeheartedly. One thing it shows is that we are not saved by our genetics or by our parents, but by grace through faith. Now, Manasseh seems to have made it his life's goal to worship as many gods as possible. He rebuilt the shrines and altars that were torn down by his father. He desecrated the Lord's temple with the worship of other deities, and he even sacrificed his children to other gods. Verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 33 really sums up his life very well. He passed his sons through the fire in the Ben-Hanam Valley. He practiced witchcraft, divination, and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spirits. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. But then something really terrible happens to Manasseh that actually ended up working out for his own good somehow, some way. So let's read the chapter and find out all about it. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down and reestablished the altars for the Baals. He made Asherah poles, and he bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple, where the Lord had said, "'Jerusalem is where my name will remain forever.'" He built altars to all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He passed his sons through the fire in Ben-Hanam Valley. He practiced witchcraft, divination, and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol, which he had made in God's temple that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon, I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel. I will never again remove the feet of the Israelites from the land where I stationed your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do all I have commanded them through Moses, all the law, statutes, and judgments. So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites." 
The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom, so Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. After this, he built the outer wall of the temple of of the city of David from west of Gihon in the valley to the entrance of the fish gate. He brought it around Ophel and he heightened it considerably. He also placed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He removed the foreign gods and the idols from the Lord's temple, along with all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He built the altar of the Lord and offered fellowship and thanksgiving sacrifices on it. Then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. However, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. The rest of the events of Manasseh's reign, along with his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the events of Israel's kings. His prayer and how God was receptive to his prayer and all his sin and unfaithfulness in the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and carved images before he humbled himself, they are written in the events of Hotsai. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and he was buried in his own house. His son Amon became king in his place. Amon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as his father Manasseh had done. Amon sacrificed to all the carved images that his father Manasseh had made and he served them. But he did not humble himself before the Lord like his father Manasseh humbled himself. Instead, Amon increased his guilt, so his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. The common people killed all who had conspired against King Amon, and they made his son, Josiah, king in his place. So Manasseh starts out there excelling in evil, but then the Lord eventually brings great discipline to him and things to begin to change. Now, I don't exactly know what it means that he was captured with hooks, but my goodness, that sounds terrible. Uh, Being defeated and captured and brought to a foreign nation in shackles humbles Manasseh, and he apparently repented wholeheartedly. Now, what made Manasseh's heart change? Well, it was changed by the terrifying discipline of the Lord. Now, we we learn in Romans 2.4 that it is God's kindness that brings us to repentance, And boy, is it good for us if we listen to the call of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit quickly and early to turn from our sin before He begins to turn up the volume. But it is always God's kindness that brings repentance, even in this situation with Manasseh. Now, you might think hooks in captivity doesn't sound very kind. And of course, I agree with you. But considering the result of this discipline, it was incredibly kind and it likely spared Manasseh from eternal consequences for his idolatry. So, uh, a short burst of discipline sparing you from eternal consequences? Yeah, that sounds really kind to me. You and I, we can learn an awful lot from Manasseh about how to anger the Lord and be a terrible king or leader, but more positively, we can really learn a lesson from him about repenting Because of all the bad things Manasseh did with his life, he actually gives us a great demonstration of how to repent. In verse 12 and 13, it says, When he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and 
earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom, so Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. Well, hey, he humbled himself. He sought the Lord. He prayed. What do we do when the Lord is disciplining us for our sin, even when it's all our fault? And it always is. Well, we do what Manasseh does here. We humble ourselves. We seek the Lord. We pray. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for mercy. And we hope that the Lord will be receptive to our prayer, just like he was to the prayer of Manasseh. Um, and that is how, that is one of the ways that God brings his people to repentance. And it's by discipline. And hopefully it doesn't get that far with us that we need to be captured with hooks. But um, remember, the 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 discipline of the Lord that brings repentance is kindness. Next passage, Revelation 19. Love Revelation 19. It has one of the best physical descriptions of the resurrected and glorified Jesus in the Bible. Now, you know, when Jesus first comes to the earth, he is born in humble circumstances, meek and lowly, laid in a food trough and riding into the city of Jerusalem, which would crucify him on a lowly and unimpressive donkey. However, things are going to be mightily different for the second coming of Jesus. So let's read Revelation 19 and see how different. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous, because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. A voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses bearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying overhead, Come, 
gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence, he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Wow. So you see, upon the return of Jesus, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. He's going to be on a war horse, and his power will not be restrained in the least, but it will be on full display. So listen to this description of Jesus again. John writes, I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus comes on a war horse armed with a terrifying sword and leading the armies of heaven. The kingdoms of the earth will muster a great army to stand against the returning Jesus. They're going to treat him like an invading power, but that is not going to go well for them because they will be, quote, killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all of the birds will eat their fill of their flesh. Yes, that is in the Bible and wow. This is obviously very, 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 very different from the first arrival of Jesus. Now, what does it mean that Jesus will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God? Well, you need to know that we aren't talking about real grapes here. We are talking about people. (laughs) Now, we know this from Isaiah 63, which looks forward to Jesus's return and is very much paralleled in Revelation 19. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6 says this, Who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Basrah? The one who is splendid in his apparel, striding in his formidable might. And the one coming answers, It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? And the one answers, I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood splattered my garments, and all my clothes were stained. For I planned the day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I was amazed that no one assisted. So my arm accomplished victory for me, and my wrath assisted me. I crushed nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath and poured out their blood on the ground." Wow, wow, wow. This is terrifying, right? And and look, friends, this is not the way most people, even most Christians, 
they do not picture the return of Jesus being like this, but this is the way the Bible describes the second coming. Seeing something like this also helps us to understand 2 Peter 3, 9 far more, which says, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9, where it talks about a day being like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years like a day. Some people wonder why it's been so long since Jesus has returned. Well, there's the answer. When he returns, it is going to be messy and terrifying. Uh, But the Lord is delaying his return, not because he's delaying his promise, but he is being patient, not wanting anybody to to perish, but all to come to repentance. So he's being patient. When Jesus returns, though, the time will be up and he will return as the King of Kings, a warrior ready for battle. May we be ready to serve him, not fight against him. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, a pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you asked, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name? Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my honor, on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asks the Lord of army. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asked the Lord? The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. John chapter 18, verse 1. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, I am he, Jesus told them. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. That servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas, who was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews gather, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, Give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, You take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then? Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. 
You have a custom that I released one prisoner to you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas! Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Lord have mercy. Well, my friends, may this be a good week for you. May the end of the year be good for you. May the Lord protect you and keep you safe. May he grant us all a wonderful 2021. I am looking forward to season three of this podcast and what God might have in store for us. We are going to be staying in the word and seeking the Lord together. And I hope you hang around and share this show with other people. Good day to you and Godspeed.